Hey everyone, Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Today is the 30th of November, 2022, and on today's show, a resume review, a look at the road for the Big 12 Championship game for the TCU Horn Frogs, your regular season Big 12 champion. How do they go from a 5-7 and seven team last year all the way to 12-0 and 0 under a new head coach and on the cusp of a college football playoff? We'll break that down and more on today's show. You are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Once again, Josh Neighbors here at Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Please subscribe to the channel, everybody. We are approaching 2,800 subscribers. Our goal is 3,000 subs on YouTube here in the next month. Before 2023, we're trying to hit that number. So it's a lofty goal, but hopefully you guys can help us out. Please subscribe, like the videos, also leave comments and let us know what you think. Today's big question is, does TCU have to win the Big 12 championship game to get into the college football playoff. Let us know what you think. And also let us know what you think about the videos, uh, any video uh, you guys want to in the comment section below. If you can't watch, make sure you guys get locked on Big 12 wherever you get your podcasts. It's available at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those places. Follow us on Twitter at LOBig12. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore today. Brought to you all by Sling TV, the best way to watch the World Cup college football, uh, the college football playoffs, bowl season, NBA, NFL, all that stuff, Sling TV. All right, so before we get going, we got the latest roundup of the college football playoff rankings last night. Things have not moved. Georgia 1, Michigan 2, TCU 3, USC is number 4. Now, I mean, obviously TCU has moved up, but like that was the inevitability of Ohio State playing Michigan. One team had to lose, which means it meant if TCU kept winning, they would move up. So they have USC is number four. Then Ohio State is five. Alabama is number six. Tennessee is seven. Uh, Penn State is eight. Uh, Clemson is nine. And KSU is number 10, which means that the only championship game this weekend that features two top 10 teams is the Big 12 championship game. Paul Feinbaum said he wasn't watching, then he apologized. What was a forced apology? We'll talk about that a different day. Um, but yes, there you go. So uh, so the Big 12 has that great championship game. If you guys want to check out our Road to the Big 12 championship video for Kansas State, who is now in the top 10, Robbie Triano and I did one yesterday. It was a lot of fun. People seem to really enjoy that. So make sure you guys go check that out. Today we're talking TCU. And really, the story is, how did TCU go from 5-7 and seven and firing its legendary coach all the way to a top now four team, number three in the college football playoff rankings in just one season. And in the mind of some people, guaranteed a college football playoff spot, which we'll get to here in a little bit. And I think just the story, it starts last year when they made the move to fire Gary Patterson. And look, guys, we talked about this a lot. You know, there are a lot of people in the industry that don't believe in firing coaches the way that we do now. But I think TCU and Jeremiah Donati made the right move. And here's why. As the Big 12 is changing, as we leave OU or OU and Texas leave the Big 12 behind, I should say, and the Big 12 adds Cincinnati, they add UCF, BYU, and Houston, um, there's a lot of jockeying for position that's happening right now, right? Last year, I think people said Baylor and, Ohio, uh, and Oklahoma State were set up well for the future. I still think they're, they definitely are. People right now would probably tell you KSU and TCU 
are set up well for the future. Well, TCU last year, you know, it was it was kind of time to make a decision. And GP was getting up there and they had to make a call about what kind of program it was going to be. Because as good as GP was, and you can look at the years in the Big 12, obviously a 12 and 1 in the Peach Bowl back in 14, 11 and 2 in 2015, 11 and 3 back in 2017, 18 was 7 and 6, 19 was 5 and 7, 20 was 6 and 4, and 21 was 3 and 5. Um, and the identity of a TCU program, it really felt like it was slipping, right? A lot of the defense obviously was a big calling card for them. Looks like they're going to continue to put uh, guys in the NFL that, you know, on the defense, obviously Trey Hodges Tomlinson being number one, but like they just weren't a very good defensive team last year. Their offense was inconsistent. We talked about how Max Duggan's inconsistencies, especially in the intermediate passing game plagued the offense. And so they made the decision to fire Gary Patterson and they made the choice of getting Sonny Dykes. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation about what fit means. What is fit? Do you have to have a guy who fits, right? You know, Dan Lanning is not a Northwestern guy, but he's gone to the Northwest and done an excellent job in year one of the Oregon. Uh, you know, it's had a very, very successful season at Oregon, where I guess ended up, end up nine and three, right? But still, like, you know, things seem to be trending in the right direction for Dan Lanning at Oregon. Then you think about guys, you know, Sonny Dykes makes sense at TCU, right? But it doesn't always have to be a one size fits all. You know, Matt Rule is going to Nebraska. You have to have a guy who's a, uh, you know, Big Ten guy might help at certain points, but there's situations, you know, I think Brian Kelly is an outsider at LSU and still will do very, very well considering uh, how just good of a coach that he is generally speaking last week, obviously notwithstanding. And so fit is always something that we talk about and the fit for Sonny Dykes at Cal was not good. The fit for Sonny Dykes at TCU, pretty damn good considering that he was at SMU. He brings over Garrett Riley makes a great call in hiring Joe Gillespie and Sonny. While he is an air raid guy, we actually talked to Hal mummy last week on big 12 radio, just about him giving uh, Sonny a chance because Sonny's dad, Spike called him and asked him to do it. And, you know, Hal said he'd do anything for spike. Uh, it's funny, you know, to see how the, the kind of interlockings and the webs and the way careers work like that. I mean, not saying Sonny didn't put in the work, but everybody could use a good word now once and again, right. It's always nice to have. Um, and while he's an offensive guy, I, I'm sure he's involved in the game planning. I think in a hands-off approach, I obviously had to re-recruit the roster that was there, right? They, they brought in some transfers. I know their top two tacklers are transfers, but we talk about their offense specifically. And let's start with their, the, the offense. It's the same guys. It is Max Duggan. And it was Chandler Morris too, to start off the year, you know, ideally for them uh, to be involved there. And then Kendry Miller and Amari DiMercato as the running backs and at wide receivers. It was Quentin Johnston and Darius Davis and Tay Barber. And they have all these guys that were there last year uh, that have become, you know, that are still major players. And Sonny deserves a lot of credit for keeping those guys around and really flipping the script on that and making them believe. And so, you know, the, the, like, I think it kind of goes back to this fit conversation. It makes sense because of where he came from that this is working out, but is it, is it fit or is it just that Sonny has done an excellent job with what's happening? You know, um, like once again, like I think fit is more of a long-term, more of a long-term discussion about how well he recruits and how, you know, how appealing to make TCU. But like the fit seems to be working right now. I just think this year is more of a testament to who he is 
as the coach. Once again, not saying it's just about the fit here, like the, like the fit's not good or anything, but I think it's more testament about who he is as a coach, getting that roster back, filling a couple holes on defense, the transfer portal, and the confidence that this team has had. And so let's go through the 2022 football schedule for TCU and kind of look at the story about where TCU, how they got here, right? That Colorado game was so interesting because we didn't know how bad Colorado would be. We didn't think it'd be very good, but they go there. It's kind of a weird game. They dilly-dally around, and then Max Duggan has to come in. They really run their way you know, and finish the job there and force some turnovers, obviously, and they beat uh, Colorado. Then Tarleton, blow them out. And then the bye week, right? So they have a third week bye, which I still think is ridiculous. You played two games in the year. But for TC, it's weird because they had to make the quarterback switch back to Duggan. They played a game against Tarleton, who's not good. Or, you know, not good. You know, not on the level, obviously, of TCU. And then they have the break. And then they have SMU. So it's kind of like, all right, well, I guess we got to gear up and start going. And you look back at the SMU game, it was touching over a bit, right? Uh, SMU did a good job of getting that thing back within striking distance, but TCU did a very good job of keeping them at arm's length. And you say, okay, well, that game is normally high scoring. Not sure how much we can take away from how good TCU is, but I thought still it was a good win. Then you move ahead and you go to the Oklahoma game. And this is one where OU is coming off the loss to Kansas State, I believe, at that point. Yeah, they come off the loss to Kansas State. And you've got them come into your house. And you throttle them from the word go, right? I mean, you see the numbers there across the board. Duggan 302, Miller 136, Barber 107. And obviously Dylan Gabriel goes out in this game from, a, I thought, a pretty dirty hit from Jamoy Hodge. But it would not have mattered. And you, so you're thinking, oh, my God, wow, this TCU team, they've got some juice. But are they just beating a wounded animal in Oklahoma? Was this a case of OU, new coach, not handling the loss well, new group coming together. And I think that's where, you know, the OU OU game, guys, was was informative. I thought the Kansas game was the moment where I thought "This, this group's got something rolling here. And here's why. Well, OU's got more talent. That Kansas team at that point in time was fully healthy. They had Jalen Daniels coming to that game who was playing excellent football. And the team, as a team, was a more cohesive, better-looking unit than what we had seen at Oklahoma. So they were playing a team that was rolling in a big home game, great crowd. And in that game, Jalen Daniels goes down and uh, Jason Bean comes in, but it was still Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And TCU found themselves in this knockdown, drag-out, punch counter punch game and i you know i always go back to that throw max duggan made against tay barber good god uh he threw a rocket in that game an absolute seed just kind of shoved it in the end zone right on tay barber's chest kind of almost like lodged almost underneath his helmet with the way he threw that football and i was like oh my god this this is a different max duggan this is not the same guy Hey, everyone. One quick word in our sponsors today we are brought to you by bet online and betonline.net World Cup, college football, NFL, NBA, college basketball, NHL, MMA, boxing. I mean, it's all going on at the same time right now. And the best place to find all of the best odds is BetOnline and BetOnline.net. Also, the Big 12 championship game is coming up this weekend. The only place to bet on it is BetOnline.net. 
in betonline.net right now. TCU, two and a half point favorite. It's also more uh, you can find on there the spreads, uh, over unders, all kinds of stuff, props as well. You guys can find it at betonline and betonline.net today. Betonline, it is where the game starts. And then that was also the game where they made a point of feeding Quentin Johnston. And we talked about a lot of his movement earlier in the year, but the way Quentin Johnston, almost like a basketball player, could post up in your defense and grab the ball. And he almost has this nice little drop step where he's able to slide and see what the defense is doing and then adjust and make his move. Guys, the thing about Quentin Johnston that makes him so special is that he's kind of you know good at like, the one thing they couldn't do last year is you know, he wasn't really running the tree, right? He wasn't running the route, the entire route tree because their offense was limited. Even if he was running the entire route tree, they were not doing a good job of finding it. Max Duggan in particular deserves a lot of blame for that. And good job for him for adjusting that and fixing that this season. And uh, what makes him special though, is that he can run all the routes. He's really good at getting open. He can make contested catches. He's good in space for a guy of his size. He's just a different kind of playmaker. And the more you watch him throughout the year, like, it doesn't really matter what they throw at him. I know he's been injured some. The guy just seems to make plays. He even acted as a decoy at times when he's hurt. Texas game goes and catches a touchdown off a complete coverage bust, right? But I think his biggest value in a game like that wasn't the actual score because anybody could have made that catch as a coverage bust, but it was the accountability the defense has to show in checking that guy. I mean, they blew it on that play, obviously, but like he is a worrisome player. You have to check the entire game even if he's, even if he's, you know, not a hundred percent. So that is what he challenges. And I thought in that game, you saw the offense, um, you saw the diversity. I mean, they forced that turnover on Jalen Daniels near the one yard line. And then they went, uh, you know, it was on their own one yard line, right? They were, uh, Kansas was driving down the field. They take it 99 yards and score immediately. And that's where I think we started to saw, see how much they make you pay time and time again this year, when teams have slipped up, TCU has done an excellent job of taking advantage of mistakes. They've done it over and over and over again this season on their way to this undefeated year that they've had. And I think it really started in that game. Then you go on to the Oklahoma State game, which to me, really weird game, but their defense ends up bowing up in the second half of that game and they get all the way there. They get to double overtime. They win that game. Uh, that game that was the same weekend as Tennessee and Alabama. And it, it feels like not very long ago, but it does feel long ago in some senses. But when TCU wins that game, you're starting to think, you know, and the Kansas game was impressive, but you're starting to think, man, they're doing this thing in a variety of ways. I'm sure we've seen the shootouts, but like the way that they're winning the shootouts, you know, um, they, they got, you know, they, they also made KU work for everything in that game. But the way they played in the second half, against Spencer Sanders. And I know, you know, that was when we started to think about him. Oh, is he banged up, whatnot. But they did a great job limiting that offense and climbing back into the game. Oklahoma State kind of kept them in arm's reach and TCU scratched and clawed and climbed their way back into the game, found a way to win in double overtime. And so then at that point, you're thinking, all right, we've had uh, Oklahoma ranked team, Oklahoma State ranked team. Then they get Kansas State. And they fell back in that game. And as soon as the injuries began to happen and for Kansas State, you, I, I thought the game was over. They were down a couple scores, I think. And, you know, they end up, I mean, just scoring one after another after another. And you blink, TCU's down a couple scores. And all of a sudden, they're up on K-State. And look, like, we'll talk about this matchup from earlier in the year. 
later on in the week because I think there's some stuff that we can take from it. But I, I think kind of these teams have learned and grown and developed a little bit since then. Um, but this was a weird game. And with the issues that Kansas State had, um, credit TCU for pouncing. That There was opportunities there. They pounced. They made it happen. They won the game by two scores. They deserve a lot of credit for that. And they continue to show how you know real they were with that. Then, you know, once we hit that, and I think that was seven, the 7-0 seven at that point, obviously, this is where you start to look and think, all right, here we go. Can TCU keep this thing rolling? You get the West Virginia game. It gets a little wonky, but some bad coaching on, on Neil Brown's end. There's another one of those closed games where you felt like TCU was going to get the edge in the end. They did. We hit the free play in the end. And this is where the injuries began to mount for TCU. This is the game where Max Duggan got injured, and I still don't think he's looked the same in terms of movement since that football game. But they weathered the storm there. Texas Tech, good Lord, that was a weird game, right? But it's just a matter of time. The onslaught happened. They're going for the fourth down on their own end in the one-score game for, T uh, for Texas Tech. Bites them in the ass, and guess what? TCU pounces like they always do. That's the Horn Frogs have become so good at this year and also they almost won that game you know mind you 34 24 they almost won that game 34 17 they almost won that game by three scores despite how bad they look big day for Kendra miller that's a theme that we saw this year then there was that texas game seven and a half point dogs and what tcu did in that game was they committed to stopping the run they said, make Quinn Ewers beat us, and he couldn't. Their coverage was good for a lot of that game. But, folks, Quinn Ewers missed a lot of throws, and they put the game on his shoulders. They really did. TCU did because of the way they shut down the Texas rushing attack. No offensive touchdowns in a 17-10 win for the TCU Horn Frogs. That result, to me, was the one where you said, all right, I, I thought this is a team that can go and play in a college football playoff. They had to show us in that game, in a game where they played a lot of games. Look, look at the games for that, guys. We'll go back to SMU. 42-55-38-43-38-41-34-17. Then you have, uh, in 17-10, I mean, the defense, Joe Gillespie, like having a game plan, showing up, executing, being the better group on the field when we talked about so much of how their offense had been the big story with explosive plays. They didn't hit many explosives in that game, right? They hit the Kendra Miller run and the busted coverage wasn't like a massive explosive play. I mean, it was like what, 30 yards on the Quentin Johnston touchdown. The Kendra Miller run was a long one, um, but they were stymied for most of the game. Eventually the dam broke, but on defense, it did not. It did not break uh, on offense. You know, the Texas, uh, Texas defensive damage, I guess you could say, broke but the offensive uh you know the waters eventually ran for them but on offense texas could not break that damn they didn't feel like they're particularly close to doing so and also after max duggan fumbled to, uh you know they needed to get a first down to ice the game they got it like it was no problem so then you go to the baylor game and people were talking about the spread for this game two and a half three points whatever this this is the max duggan heisman case in a nutshell in that Baylor game, this is the contest 29-28 victory where there is no Kendra Miller. There is no Darius Davis. There is no Quentin Johnson in the end of the game. TCU goes down the field 
scores touchdown when they need to. They go for two. Max Duggan misses the throw. Amari DiMercato could have made the catch. Kind of a six and one half dozen of the other. Blame, kind of on the blame, 50-50, whatever you want to call it. Well, the defense goes and gets a stop. There's some conservative play calling there from Dave Aranda and Baylor. They made that mistake. They made that mistake. They gave TCU the ball back. Max Duggan leads them down the field. Fire drill field goal. Game over. And at that point, I know there was some anxiety heading into last week. But TCU in that Baylor game proved once again, when you when you squeeze them, when, you, when it's crunch time and you push this team to the limit, they're going to come out on top more times than not. They've done it over and over and over again this season. Whenever they've been pressed, Oklahoma State game, KU game, Oklahoma State game, Kansas State a little bit of you know, being pressed early, West Virginia late, they get that late score, Texas Tech in the fourth quarter, Texas, you know, uh, you know, they didn't really never squeeze in that game. Obviously, things got tight towards the end, but they made it happen. Baylor, TCU, man, just comes back and they finish on top. Those two drives were Max Duggan's Heisman moment. Gets the hug from Sonny Dykes after the game and then gets the hug from his dad, I believe, after the game as well. We move on to Iowa State. They throttle the Cyclones, a defense that has been tremendous all year. They made them look average and bad at times with the way they played. And that was kind of that game was almost a celebration, right? With the way they played in the first quarter, they put their foot down. They basically said, no, nah, this ain't going to be a game. We're going 12 and 0. We're going to the Big 12 championship game. And that gets to our conversation now. A couple things. Um, TCU is littered all over the awards lists this year for the Maxwell Award or Davy O'Brien Award, I believe. Max Duggan is a finalist. It feels like Max Duggan is going to be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy at this point. Blake Corum, not able to play last week, and maybe we'll see if he goes this week, was big for his candidacy. C.J. Stroud, not playing great, bad for his candidacy. Caleb Williams, really strong effort against Notre Dame, has that crazy rushing play that felt like the Heisman moment, even though it was not a touchdown. Max Duggan throttling a really good defense, puts him right there. It feels like it's going to be uh, Williams, Stroud, Corum, Duggan, I think Duggan probably finishes number three in the Heisman voting. And um, he, excuse me, he belongs in New York. Broyles Award finalist, Garrett Riley, is going to be a finalist for that award. The offensive coordinator, let's hope TC can keep him around. Sonny Dykes will be a finalist for National Coach of the Year. That is going to happen as well as he should be and probably is going to win the award this year for the job he has done at TCU. Uh, Big 12 championship team now are the Horn Frogs against Kansas State. And look, we'll break down this matchup later on in the week. But the talk about, hey, can TCU lose a game? Dan Wetzel wrote an article over at USA Today about the idea of like, you know, wins and losses. Who needs to do what here at the very end of the season? I think I made some really good points about, look, the top three teams, top four at this point, Ohio's, or excuse me, um, Georgia, Michigan, then you go to uh, um, uh, TCU and USC. Those teams are playing in their conference championship games. They've earned that opportunity to go there. The Ohio State team and the Alabama team, Tennessee team, uh, Clemson team, like all those teams had good years, right? They didn't earn the opportunity. They weren't good enough to play in their championship game. And also, guys, once again, look at the metrics again. Like TCU, best strength of schedule out of every single one of the top four teams. They have the best strength of record out of all the top four teams. It's number one in the country, okay? 
So when we look at that, we think about that, like that kind of stuff. TCU should be in regardless of what happens on Saturday. But if they get blown out by 30, I'm not really sure I can make that case. But still, like if it's a close competitive game, it's a loss. TCU should be in. Those schools this weekend probably all should be in because they earn this opportunity by being the best four teams. They should not be dinged in this extra opportunity they're getting uh, and fall and then fall and fall behind teams that aren't getting that opportunity. Now, USC might be the exception here because they're a one-loss team, right? But the run they're on right now, they're playing a lot of difficult teams. UCLA, Notre Dame. Now they have a rematch with Utah this week. And also they got the win over Oregon State as well. Like, it's a decent enough resume in my opinion. Then you want to win. I, I really don't know how to square the USC versus uh, – oh, it should be the Ohio State conversation. I'm not – Alabama as a playoff team. I am not on board with that right now. But TCU, I even think Michigan, and I even think Georgia, like those teams should all get not free passes, but they should all be allowed a loss because of where they are. And I know not everybody sees it that way, but let's be honest, guys. Like that's the way it should be. If it's Texas or Oklahoma with TCU's record, they'd definitely be allowed a loss. If Georgia's been allowed, I mean, Georgia's got, you know, Georgia will be allowed a loss. And I'm sure that, you know, they're, they're a better team than TCU is right now. But Georgia's resume, which we should be going off of, not just the eye test resume, is not as good as TCU's. TCU's built up this amazing resume over the course of the season, and that should hold up in the room, not the logo of being TCU with the frog in it um, and people thinking differently about them. But their resume should hold up uh, in, the, in that committee room, even if they lose a game by 10 points to Kansas State, let's say. All right, that Ohio State team got dog walked at home, at home by Michigan. Uh, that second half was not competitive at all. Michigan really kicked their ass. Ohio State, man, they've shown cracks in the armor in the Maryland game, in the Penn State game. Penn State's climbed their way up in the top 10 and has had a really nice season. But they've shown those cracks in the armor for a while, and it came to fruition. They played a team that pushed back against them. Uh, they, you know, they got hammered uh, in that second half. They were uh, Michigan was was a hammer. Ohio State was the nail on both sides of the ball in that second half. And Ohio State sitting there, maybe if USC loses, sure, two lost team, not a conference champion, maybe they deserve some consideration. But are you going to move Ohio State in at eleven and one after that loss? After TCU gets has to play an extra game, like. Look, guys, if, if the Big 12 was in the old format and there's no conference championship game, I know they value them so much. Like TCU's in. TCU's not sweating out anything this weekend. They're in at all. So now playing an extra game is going to penalize them when Ohio State lost. Once again, guys, Ohio State loses to Michigan, all right? Now that's sit at home conference championship weekend. You're telling me if TCU loses uh, because they won their way into the Big 12 championship game undefeated, that Ohio State should jump them because they didn't, they're didn't. they not playing in that game? No. Top three, in my opinion, because they're undefeated, because they're where they are, they should be safe because of what they've accomplished. Even Michigan, maybe. You're playing lesser team in Purdue, which might actually hurt you in this case, so I think that's actually an interesting idea. But to me, guys, it's pretty clear that it should be the Horn Frogs in regardless. But the fact that we're talking about that, once again, testament the fact they made a change. They knew they had to. Dykes re-recruits the roster. They have to go to a quarterback they already had. They have all this experience, all these old guys, and they just never seem to be worried in the line of fire. And it's amazing what TCU has accomplished this year. And it feels like, once again, because of where they position themselves, 
they're not done. Credit the Sunny Dykes. That will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at L O Big 12 is the show. Follow me personally at Josh Neighbors underscore. Please subscribe to the channel uh, on YouTube. Like the video, leave a comment. Find us wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, my friends, as always, stay safe.